the drive, kicks it out for man. Man, three-pointer, bang! Oh, what a man! Magic down the middle, just what I thought, a hook shot at 12, good! Here's Michael at the foul line, a shot on Elo, good! The Bulls win! They win! Now that's a steal by Murph, underneath the DJ, right there! Going up over Bell, fall away! What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode post-game live here on Dime Dropper, although technically tonight is not a post-game for game four of the 2023 NBA Finals between the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat. I will also be talking about the Champions League Final that took place today. Of course, the Champions League Final is the biggest sporting event annually in the world And even though I've kind of reserved my soccer content or football content to just international play so far, I do sometimes, when I can, talk about a big club game, and there's no better time to talk about a Champions League final than a live, in which we only have one game, and of course, it's the Champions League final, i got to mention it. But before we get started, you already know the drill, follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, it says it right there at the bottom line if you're watching on YouTube, at Dime Dropper Pod. And if you are watching on YouTube, that means you already know to subscribe to Dime Dropper for all things LA sports, NBA, NBA history, and more. Make sure you hit the notification bell so you know every single time I go live. And even though today is the day after the game, live from Los Angeles, as always, shout out to everybody in the chat tonight. But let's talk about this game for Miami Heat and Denver Nuggets. So, obviously a must-win game for the Miami Heat to tie up the series. You don't want to go back down 3-1 to Denver where they can finish you off. And boy, that's what happened because it was a game in which you really saw the depth of the Denver Nuggets. Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray shot a combined 13 for 36, if I'm not mistaken. And they still were able to win pretty decisively. Miami made their pushes, but Denver just seemed in control the whole way, and I think it's a testament to their supporting cast, but don't get it twisted. Just because Murray and Jokic didn't shoot that well does not mean they didn't play that well. They are still creating so many different shots for everybody else on the court with their amazing, I don't want to use the word gravity so much, but just the attention that they garner in that two-man game. But let's just start from the top, right? The main thing I wanted to see from Miami was I needed to see Jimmy Butler be very aggressive and hopefully Bam Adebayo to shoot the ball better from the field. So you needed to see huge games from the from the stars, but you also wanted to see the role players hit their threes because that's the one thing that we've talked about so much throughout this postseason with Miami is that their role players have just been batting above their average. They've been playing so well. From the first series, I've been saying eventually the role players are going to tail off from three. Eventually they're going to return to earth. But it seems as though in these first three rounds, they have shot extremely well. And in the first two games, they were still doing the same thing. First game, they didn't shoot very well. Second game, they did. Now, game three, they didn't shoot well. So I was wondering what was going to happen in game four. By the way, for all the people that are watching on Twitter, please, please scoot your boot 
over to YouTube because that's where I make my bread. So what, what I'm gonna do right now is I'm gonna put the link in the YouTube right underneath the tweet that you're watching. I see eight of you guys in the Twitter stream. Get off there, I'm deleting it. So go under to my YouTube right underneath, okay? While we continue the party. All right, three, two, one, deleting the Twitter. Now we're only on YouTube. All right, so let's get right into it. First quarter, in, in the beginning, you see this so much throughout the playoffs. Jokic not even looking to be that aggressive, just making passes from the high post, just catching the ball there and running different dribble handoff actions. You see different off-ball screens happening, and Jokic, a, a second of miscommunication or a Miami Heat player, doesn't matter if it's Miami Heat or anyone who's playing Denver, you leave a guy open or take your eye off somebody and they dive to the basket, Jokic is hitting them right in that second, he is so precise and great with his timing and his placement on his passes. As I say, his passing mechanics, second to none. You take your eye off somebody, you play somebody too tight topside, and they dive to the basket back door, he drops those bounce passes right into stride, leading the players like no other big man that I've seen play the game. And in the beginning of the game, that's what he was doing. But both teams' defense was really good. I thought this was a more... 2000s-like, grinded-out, defensive game, struggled to get good shots. Murray, by the way, was switching one through four for Denver. So again, you're seeing the Denver Nuggets switch a good amount outside of Jokic, and Jimmy Butler was getting that favorable switch again with Jamal Murray guarding him, and he wasn't punishing it that much. There were times where he got two defenders on him, but a lot of times, and this was a smart adjustment by Denver, they stayed home on the shooters. They saw that Jimmy Butler's not being very aggressive lately. He's looking to make the pass. And Jimmy started driving, looking to pass, not to shoot. And one of the big things with Jimmy, as we've talked about, he always needs to go off two feet a lot of the times when he's on the drive. He has to come to a jump stop. And sometimes even when he gets the step on somebody, he doesn't go up right away. And that costs him at the highest level. Maybe it's his ankle. Maybe it's just that. Maybe it's both. But regardless, the Denver Nuggets were playing the pass and staying home on shooters. So you start to see Jimmy Butler pass up a lot of good looks. Now, thankfully for Miami, their defense was really good too. They were trying their best on Joker, but as I said in the beginning of the game, he wasn't being too aggressive. They were trying to high drop on Murray, and then they went to a blitz on Murray on almost all the pick and rolls. So it's very clear we've seen as the playoffs have gone on, teams are starting to see that Jokic is going to get Jokic's points regardless but you want to shut down Murray as best you can and prevent him from going nuclear because once he does you're basically fucked because now you have two closers that are in rhythm but one thing about Denver with them switching one through four notice that means Jamal Murray is switching on to the four and that's Kevin Love and Kevin Love has a good post-up game and one thing that was infuriating me early on was that Miami mainly Kevin Love, was not even looking to go into the post against Jamal Murray on a switch. And those possessions become wasted. When you end up shooting a contested shot or a Jimmy Butler contested pull-up or a Bam Adebayo contested 10-foot runner or you know what he does, that one dribble and fades away, that isn't as good of a look to me as what you can get from Kevin Love potentially going in the low post against Murray. One, it makes Murray work on defense. Two, good luck guarding that without fouling. And three, Kevin Love actually has post game. I know he's old, but when he has the skill, it doesn't take him that much to dump it down and seal Jamal Murray down low. Now, on the other side, every time Aaron Gordon gets a smaller defender on him, they go right to the mismatch. And that makes a difference. 
And someone else, someone that Miami really needed to have a good game and just hasn't found his shot in these two games in Miami, Gabe Vincent. One for six in game four in 19 minutes of play. He also had two turnovers and was a team worst minus 21. It was a rough night for him. And then Max Struess with two stinkers in a row. Besides that first quarter of game two where he went four for seven from three, He's been pretty abysmal in this series, and his off-ball defense hasn't been very good either. 0 for 4, 0 for 3 from deep, and a donut in 19 minutes for Max Struess. So between Gabe Vincent and Struess, they scored two points on 1 for 10 shooting. That's from your starters. That is not going to get it done. Kevin Love and the Heat, by the way, in the beginning of the game, were getting away with a lot of fouls on Jokic. Jokic, of course, on defense is going to be in that drop coverage that we've seen all series long. Bam, as I said, in that high drop and then slowly going to a blitz. And as the the Heat, by the way, were down 18 to 11 in the first quarter. And then Jimmy Butler started to get to the basket, started to hit a couple mid-ranges with Jokic and drop coverage and narrowed the gap after one. So at the end of the first quarter, it was 21 to 20 Miami. So feeling pretty good if you're the Heat. But at the same time, when you hold the Denver Nuggets to just 20 points. And by the way, as I said, I was seeing this game more from a Heat's fan perspective because they were the, the not the underdogs. They were the ones that had the pressure on them. They needed to win. And when they only allowed 20 points, that was a great thing to see. But what you were worried about is that they only scored 21. And you had to take more advantage of Denver not shooting well. Because the thing is this. Denver, they can create good shots every time down. Like Miami was playing good defense. Don't get it twisted. But they are going to get decent shots every time down. Worst comes to worst, they can isolate Jokic on the block. And they can guarantee a good shot. So, I mean, they have so many different actions that get them good stuff. You just knew eventually Miami needed to be better offensively or Denver was going to get going. And in the second quarter, Jokic had a little bit of an injury scare when his ankle landing awkwardly. It turned a little bit. They, As always, they seem to make a bigger deal out of in, an injury in the game when someone's still playing than it is. But... It was a minor setback. And then in the second unit, when the Nuggets take Jokic out and the Nuggets go small with Aaron Gordon, Christian Brown, Bruce Brown, Jamal Murray, and usually it's like Aaron. I already said Aaron Gordon. So usually it's like KCP or Christian Brown. or I'm sorry, it's Jeff Green in there. One of KCP or Christian Brown. Bam Adebayo was not taking advantage of Christian Brown on the switch. He's starting his move way too high. And again, the one thing with Bam, and we've said this for three years now, he doesn't physically punish smaller guys. I get it. You can't post up Jokic. I understand. He's too strong. That's why he's been taking him away from the basket a little bit and knocking down that mid-range shot. He didn't make it in game three. But that when in drop coverage, Jokic's goal is to keep the, the offense in front of him. He does not want Bam to get behind him for a lob or anything like that. So he's dropping, trying to, you know, just show enough on Jimmy and then get back to Bam. But they're conceding that little mid-range of that 10-foot push shot. They're conceding it every time. Bam Adebayo happens to be very inconsistent with the shot that Nikola Jokic is automatic in. So Bam has been hit or miss with that. But when he does get a chance to go at Jokic, he usually takes that one dribble to his right fall away. Or when he shoots that one, you know, one-handed push shot, he doesn't really go into Jokic at all. He just kind of plays finesse. He kind of shies away from the contact, if you want to say it. Because I think that's about true. And when he has a smaller guy on him, though, he doesn't even look to get deep enough in the post where he can just go up right away. He's working too hard. 
and that was starting to show in that second quarter. Jeff Green did not have a good first-half stint. He was falling asleep defensively, and Miami was taking advantage of it. But you know who was taking advantage of bad defense and small defenders? Aaron Gordon with 15 points in the second quarter. And how often have we seen this in this finals with Aaron Gordon catching the ball super deep off of great entry passes from Jokic, back cuts and back screens, turning into Aaron Gordon getting free. And obviously in that dunker spot, he has just been feasting in these finals. Because as we talked about before, if Bam is going to guard Jokic, Miami do not have LeBron's or Rui Hachimura's big forwards to throw at Aaron Gordon. They don't. They go with Caleb Martin or Duncan Robinson, Max Struess, Jimmy Butler. Look, Caleb Martin was incredible in that Celtics series, but he has been bullied in this series by Aaron Gordon, who, by the way, is doing a great job on Jimmy Butler as well. Even though they're switching a lot and trying to get him off Jimmy as much as they can, he is still doing a great job in his role defensively. And when Jokic came back in the game, he was taking the pick and pop three and he was making the pick and pop three. And again, that pick and pop with Jokic and Murray, I want you to tell me how much, how great would Jokic be if he didn't shoot threes? If he was just shooting like 18 footers on the pick and pop, how great would he be? Because it definitely does stretch the defense out. You have to, you know, make a choice on that pick and pop because you have to take away Murray's mid range. So that leaves Jokic open if the big man helps. And Jokic open for that three is probably the best option because you don't want to switch that pick and roll. Otherwise, you're going to get your small guy guarding Jokic, which is suicidal. So if you hedge it, then you potentially allow Jokic to get the ball in four on three situations. I think hedging it might be the best case scenario, but you have to prevent Jokic from getting the ball. And you cannot let Murray turn the corner. You have to hold Murray and take away the next pass. But with today's spacing, that leaves someone wide open with a lot of space if Murray can see over the defense and get them the ball. So it's such a predicament in that Murray-Jokic high pick and roll or pick and pop, mainly the pick and pop, because if you pick and roll, if Jokic rolls and Aaron Gordon's in the dunker spot, Aaron Gordon's man might be able to tag Jokic and split the difference between him and Gordon easier. But with the pick and pop, you're fucked. So anytime the Heat did switch that, Jokic punished them, and Jokic is, again, I talked about it in Game 3, but that touch around the rim, or even from 10 feet, that floater, is uncanny. Um, but somebody, or two players that I thought was, were doing a good job in the second quarter for Miami, Kyle Lowry and Caleb Martin. Kyle Lowry's had a really good finals, you know, playing good defense, knocking down shots off the pick and roll, mid-range, three ball, but as I said, Struess and Vincent, not so much. And Jokic defensively was doing some really good things as well. Great hands two times in a row and started to hedge screens on certain shooters like Duncan Robinson, Max Struess pretty well to prevent any clean looks on those dribble handoffs. But it was a great ending to the half for Miami. So two straight quarters, really good endings to the half for Bam Adebayo with two monster dunks. There was one he took it right at Jokic and dunked with his left hand. Then another one where he flew down the lane on a trail and it was big time, got the crowd going. And then drew an offensive foul on Joker towards the end of the half. Great defense by Bam. You know you're going to get that all the time. Jokic had 16 points at halftime. Murray only 6 points at halftime. Jimmy Butler 14 points on 6 for 9 shooting. But again, you're shooting 66%. This is basically a do or die game. And you're only shooting 9 times. That is not enough. But at halftime, the second quarter by the way, 35-30 to 30 in favor of Denver. So it started to become more offensive minded. 55 to 51 
in favor of the Nuggets. And again, you're thinking, I'm thinking to myself, this is dangerous for Miami. Like, it's too close. And as the game goes on, you just think that quality is going to take over. Because it's very obvious the Denver Nuggets are the better team. They have the best player in the series, in the world. Their second option, let me know in the comments what you think. Just like I asked, let me know in the comments how great would Jokic be if he didn't shoot threes, but he still had a mid-range, like an 18-footer. Let me know who's a better second option, Murray or Bam. Because throughout a season, I'm taking Bam with his defense. But in the playoffs, Murray's offense is incredible, and he's been insanely consistent. So let me know what you think. But the supporting cast is no doubt better for Denver, no doubt. And by the way, MPJ... He was trying to drive because I've been, you know, it's like he's been listening to me almost. He's seeing that he's shooting a lot of threes and shooting himself out of rhythm. So he tried to drive, but he was kind of forcing it. Didn't feel like he was letting the game come to him. And he was just going right into the teeth of the defense. And Miami is a good enough defensive team where if you force things, it might not end up too well for you. But in the third quarter, Aaron Gordon, more of him, whether in that dunker spot. And at times, by the way, when, you, when people sag off of Aaron Gordon because they want him to shoot, what they're also not realizing, if they do the same thing with Draymond Green, is they give him so much space to pass. No pressure on the pass. And I remember there was one time where he threaded the needle beautifully, a bounce pass, to I think it was Murray. And Aaron Gordon has so shown some really great uh, passing chops in these playoffs. Underrated passer, in my opinion, from what I've noticed in, these po in this postseason. And then again, Jokic and Murray in that pick and pop. If, they, if Bam closed out too hard, then Jokic would drive, and now he's going downhill. He has that runner. He has Gordon on the lob, and it's amazing. The second someone cheats for a steal and Jokic gets the step, he is making a decision so quickly, whether it's a lob or a floater. I mean, he's just incredible. There's not many more superlatives and adjectives I can use to describe this guy at this point. He's the best center of my time because I was a little too young to watch Prime Shaq. So he's undoubtedly to be the best center of my time. I mean, and that's great to see a proper seven-footer that dominates in the post kill the modern NBA. Because they told me it couldn't be done, but he does it. And it's obviously not just in the post. The pick-and-pop threat and the pick-and-roll threat, that's what makes him such a great fit for the modern NBA. Because if you just threw it in the post, every possession isolation, it would be a little stagnant. But the fact that he's such a great roller in the pick-and-roll, and mind you, with Monty Morris, did you see the same thing? No, you didn't. It was not the same. But Jamal Murray is such an incredible threat in that pick and roll. And he's a very underrated passer, which you can see a little bit of in this game with his, with his amazing assist-to-turnover ratio. Jamal Murray is such a lethal pick-and-pop, pick-and-roll tandem with Jokic. It's amazing. But by the way, Miami didn't lay down and die. Kevin Love hit a couple of big shots. But Denver's offense with Jokic as a screener was just too good. And it wasn't just lobs and in the dunker spot that Aaron Gordon was scoring. He was hitting his three ball as well. And the Nuggets outscored the Heat 31-22 in the third. And again, you're just not seeing enough from Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler to me. And in that third quarter, remember how I always say there's a moment in a series where you just know a team is too good? And I just felt like in that third quarter, you can just start to see it unraveling for Miami. They just didn't have... The best players on the other side and the supporting cast is better on the other side. I don't know what else there is to say and what else there really is to do. And by the way, Jimmy Butler shot one time in the third quarter. One time. And Bam Adebayo the same. Oh, I'm sorry. And that's only made shots. My bad. Bam Adebayo was one for four in the third quarter. Jimmy Butler was also 
one for four. So, again, four shots is not very much. Two for eight. And by the way, three of Jimmy Butler's shots were in the paint. The other one was a mid-range. Bam Adebayo, all of them were in the mid uh, in the paint except for one mid-range. So, not nearly good enough. The Nuggets outscored the Heat by 9-31-22. That gave them a 13-point lead going into the fourth. And Miami made a run with Jokic on the bench. Because then they can switch because the Nuggets are going small. They don't play with a backup big. So Miami started switching, finally getting stops, and they started scoring. Jimmy Butler got an and one, cut it down to, I believe, five. Let me double check. Because Jokic, by the way, he had so many kick balls in this game, Jokic. But Jokic got an offensive foul. That was his fifth foul at the 924 mark of the fourth quarter. He went out of the game when they're up by 10, 86-76, and immediately... Bam hits two free throws. Jimmy hits a layup on an and one, cuts it down to five, and then off the timeout. So it's 86-81. You're starting to think maybe Miami can do this, but Jimmy, I'm sorry, Jamal Murray, I've said this several times in this postseason. Every single time, especially in road games, when it feels like the Denver Nuggets need a shot, to silence the crowd, or to stop momentum, he hits it. It's an uncanny ability. It may not go in the clutch stats because there's not under five minutes to go and the score within five points, but you better believe that's a fucking clutch shot by Jamal Murray. Left wing fall away when all the momentum is going against you. Finals atmosphere, crowd rocking, and you make it an eight-point game again. Backbreaker. Absolutely massive shot by Jamal Murray. And the funny part is Jimmy Butler responded, scored again the other way, and it was a six-point game. And the Heat had a chance, I remember this vividly, to make it a four-point game. And Bam Adebayo missed an eight-footer right in the middle of the key floater. And after that, Aaron Gordon scored off a Jamal Murray pass. And when Jeff Green made it three to put them up nine, and then Jokic... By the way, Jokic was out for a while in this stretch. The fact that they responded to the non-Jokic minutes and that runs so well is a testament to Jamal Murray, but also the depth of the Nuggets and their mental toughness. We've talked about the Miami Heat's mental toughness all playoff long, but now they're finally meeting a team that has the same kind of focus and mental toughness and organization, and they're more talented. And when you see both teams have that toughness, but one team's just more talented and has the best player and the better supporting cast, you get the result in that fourth quarter. Bruce Brown was unbelievable. Both ends of the floor, his cutting, transition. Again, the cutting of the Nuggets off of Jokic is amazing. I mean, you got to give credit to Michael Malone, but I always say it's them, Sacramento, and Golden State that play unique style basketball. Every other fucking team plays the same robotic, high pick and roll. Everything's pick and roll based shit. It's so different than when I grew up where every team had a unique style. It was because I didn't grow up in the just pound inside to the big era. I didn't. I don't know if the NBA was once like that in the 90s. I'm going to check it out. But in the 60s, it's not like that. It's a lot of motion. There's not, you know, people can't do as much with the ball in the 60s. So it's a lot of off-ball movement. In this era, it's the pick and roll era. But those three teams play with motion and they play with the central cog. Mainly, I mean, Denver's and Golden State's central cog are much better than Sacramento's. No offense to Sabonis and Fox. But Jokic and Curry are all-time offensive players. Just being out there in this era with the spacing, you can get a good shot with them. And Jokic, I mean, when he came in, he just finished, put the finishing touches on the cake. And Bruce Brown, I mean, 11 points in the fourth quarter. What more can you say about this guy? And Bam, not aggressive enough. 
Not enough shots for Butler. Aaron Gordon was the leading scorer for the Denver Nuggets. In what was a 108-95 win, they never really looked back after they went up by 14, and that was that. Just like the 2014 finals, the Miami Heat lose game one, win game two, and then lose both games in Miami. It's embarrassing that they haven't won a home game in Miami uh, in the finals since 2013 game seven. Yikes. 0-4. And and I guarantee they will probably not be playing a game six because when you don't win at home, it's very disappointing. The Nuggets win it. 108-95 to to take a 3-1 lead in commanding fashion. Look, I said it again. Offensively, I don't know what you can do about Denver. They did the best they could. I mean, they held Jokic and Murray to 13 for 36. Then those other guys get going. And you best believe that part of why they got going is because of the attention that Murray and Jokic get. You cannot switch everything with them because you can't have enough guys that are big enough to guard Jokic. They only have one guy that even stands a shadow of a chance, and that's Bam Adebayo. It's too tall of a task because Miami's supporting cast is now returning to earth finally when they're playing against a real team. It's forcing Jimmy Butler to really draw double teams. And he's not doing it because he's not scoring enough. And Bam Adebayo, you're starting to see, you know, he hasn't really improved offensively since the 2020 season to me. He hasn't. If you've seen it, let me know. But he's not one-on-one dominant yet. And I'm not expecting him to dominate Jokic one-on-one, but the other guys. Eight-man rotation for Denver. Christian Brown, one point, so not like his game three game, but one point, 0 for 1 in 15 minutes. Jeff Green, three points, a better second half than he had a first half, only one shot, and it was that three I mentioned earlier in the fourth quarter, one for one in 16 minutes. Bruce Brown, what a performance. Played more than MPJ. I guess I'll say MPJ's line first. 23 minutes, he started out 0 for 4, but he was 4 for 6 the rest of the way and finished in double figures, so good for MPJ. And again, defensively, he's been pretty solid the whole playoffs. 11 points, 3 rebounds for him on 4 for 10 shooting. 0 for 3 from deep. So 7 of his shot attempts were 2s. So you like to see that. Um, I think in Game 5 he might be due for a huge one. We'll see. But Bruce Brown, 30 minutes of play. What more can you say about this guy? I saw my man Terrence Mann courtside. Obviously a friend of Bruce Brown's there with him. But Bruce was just phenomenal. In transition, finishing, hitting his 3 ball. Did he hit any 3s? Yes, he did. 3 for 5 from deep. Oh, man. 8 for 11 from the field, 21 points, 4 rebounds, a steal, and a block, no turnovers. What a story. It's going to be very hard for Denver to retain him, but Bruce Brown has absolutely earned every single bit of this championship that he's about to win. And then KCP, another quieter game for him, 7 points, 4 rebounds, 2 assists on 2 for 5 shooting, and all those shots were 3-pointers, but 3 steals and 2 blocks for KCP, who's on his way to being a starter on a second championship team. Wow. Good for him. And then Aaron Gordon, the leading scorer for the Denver Nuggets in this one. Probably his best playoff game of his career. 27 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists. That's a LeBron stat line. 11 for 15 from the field, 3 for 4 from deep to go along with a steal. Plus 29, which was the highest of any player in the game, Aaron Gordon has carved out this Andrew Wiggins-like role for himself, guarding the best player, being the athletic guy on the team, in the dunker spot with Jokic, his screening, his rolling, his vertical threat, 
All of that has been massive for this Denver team. He's bought into his role. He might not have lived up to the hype that he had coming out of Arizona, but he has become the third best player on a championship team, and that does not sound too bad, does it? Aaron Gordon, what a game. And honestly, he's having his best series in the finals, which is big time. And then the duo, Jamal Murray. 15 points, 3 rebounds, but how about 12 assists and 0 turnovers? Just creating tons of good looks when they're blitzing him in that pick and roll. There's no answer to this team. Blitz is the, If you get blitzed, if Jamal Murray gets blitzed, makes that pass over the top or to someone else, and the rest do their work. And of course, they still run amazing actions to get Murray open, the dribble handoffs, the Jamal Murray sets a back screen for Aaron Gordon, his man helps on Gordon on the roll, and then he comes off of that dribble handoff, is one of my favorite actions they have. It's so good. Jamal Murray, 15-12 and 12 on 5 for 17 shooting and 2 for 3 from deep. And the fact that Jokic and Murray shot a combined 13 for 36 makes me think that in Game 5, them and Michael Porter are going to shoot better. And that spells trouble for Miami. Jokic, 23 points, 12 rebounds, and 4 assists. He also had 3 steals and 3 blocks. That's rare from Jokic. What a defensive game from him. Murray as well. They have stood up to the task defensively. And you know what? I'm not even going to say that they've been decent on defense. They have been good defensively in these playoffs. As a team, they've shown everybody that all the talk about them not being a good defensive team was bullshit. In the playoffs, they've completely tightened up. The eye test, as I said, never matched that for me. That's why I don't look too far into regular season stats. Because again... I, I'm going to go with my eyes. My eyes always tell me the truth because I trust my basketball mind. The more I've leaned into stats, not matching it with my eyes and say, you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. I've always been right. At the end, I'm like, dude, this shit is bullshit. I, I, like when they tried to give Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan first team defense um, instead of Luke Bahamute in 2017. I'm like, this is bullshit, bro. I watch every game. So that's just one example. But again, Denver, they're not a great defensive team, but they're very good. They're good enough to win a championship, much like the 2016 Cavs. So Jokic has been a part of that. He has stood up to the task and drop coverage. They have not made him pay enough, and he stood up strong. He's had really good hands, and it was a really solid game. And it's funny because after the game, Tomara Zarli, one of our beat writers, ours being the Clippers, asked him about that stat line, and apparently like only KD, Braun, and like one other player have had that stat line. And he's like, 23-12-4? What's so special about that? 23-12-4 is not that great. So funny, but Denver, I mean, they've been the team from the beginning of the season. They've been the ones that have been serious about the regular season. Their process has been the best and they are going to make history. It's happening in five games. It's become a boring finals because they've been so commanding. And you know what's funny? No one's had an answer for them in any round. They've been so dominant in these playoffs. Jokic has been so dominant in these playoffs and there's just nothing more to say. They completely deserve this ring. It's going to be amazing for their city. They've never won a championship, and they've been around for a while now. Jokic, the greatest player in their franchise history, and it's going to put him in an all-new conversation at an all-time scale. How about the Heat, who played... By the way, Haywood Highsmith not playing is just weird to me, and no zone. I mean, the one adjustment that the Nuggets made was they noticed that they're going to put a guy in the middle of the floor in that zone, in like a 2-1-2 kind of action, but they noticed that getting the ball to Jokic in the mid post on the wing and then having someone cut in the middle would free up something. And that's kind of the adjustment they made, but in my opinion, Spo still should have gone to that zone more. It was working better than the man-to-man. So let me know what you think. Why didn't he? I don't feel like they fully countered it like countered it like crazy, but 
Cody Zeller played only four minutes, had a donut, didn't even get a shot off. Um, Kevin Love, only 18 minutes, but he shot well. 12 points, four rebounds, four for six from the field, three for five from deep. No turnovers, but he was a minus 13. Let me know if you thought he should have played more. I already talked about Vincent and Struess, a combined two points on one for 10 shooting and 0 for 7 from three between the two of them. They need much better, like much better. If their role player, if their stars are not going to play great, they need much better from them. And honestly, to beat Denver, they need the stars to play great and the role players to play great. That's honestly the truth. Kyle Lowry played 33 minutes. He had a much better first half to me. 13 points, three rebounds, seven assists. Pretty solid game off the bench. On three for seven shooting, one for four from three. Caleb Martin, 11 points, five rebounds in 33 minutes of play. Five for 12 on the field, one for two from three. He was solid. At least they had six guys in double figures. Duncan Robinson, 12 points on five for seven shooting and two for four from three. So he did his job. And the Heat, again, not a good three-point shooting night. Oh, by the way, the Denver Nuggets shot 49% from the field. And finally, finally, they had a good shooting night from three and only turned the ball over six times. 14 for 28 from deep, 50%. I've been saying they're due for a 40-plus percent shooting night from three. They got it in game four on a 50% shooting night. 16 for 21 from the foul line, so not that great there. The Heat shot 17 for 20 from the foul line, so 85%. But they were only 8 for 25 from three. 32%, 45% from the field. So Nuggets shot better from the field and from three. Turnovers-wise, Heat turned the ball over 14 times, the Nuggets six. And you know what happens when you turn the ball over against Denver? You're fucked. So as you see with the stats, they all showed this was just not, you know, the Heat didn't play well enough to win. The other starters, Bam and Jimmy. It's only all, only people left. Bam, 20 points, 11 rebounds, three assists, seven turnovers. One steal, one block, but seven turnovers for your center. He had half your turnovers. That's disgraceful. By the way, he he's reached his 20-point threshold in every single game that I placed on him. And I, honestly, I think he's been okay. Seven turnovers is way too much. But Jimmy, again, no 30-point game. 25 points, seven rebounds, seven assists on nine for 17 shooting. Bam is shooting more shots than you in this game. This is do or die, bro. Jimmy Buckets, what happened? Did he just, get, he was too injured? No excuse. He didn't play well enough in this series to win. He had to shoot 20 plus times. You got to empty the fucking clip, bro. Seven, and you're shooting well. Nine for 17. So many passed up shots. No excuse. This series is over. My next live will be on Monday, and it'll be celebrating the Denver Nuggets' first championship, and it'll be a beautiful sight to see because they've been the best team all series long. I mean, all season long, all playoffs long. They have the best player. And let me just tell you this. I have never seen a champion that is going to disprove more bullshit narratives than Denver this year. Never. I've never seen a one seed besides that 2021 Jazz team who rightfully was dog shit get this disrespected. This Denver team was legit because Jokic is on it. And Murray. Murray's almost as good as Mitchell. Jokic is, I mean, it's, it's insane. People didn't see this. But you know what? They wanted to run with their narratives because Jokic lost to Phoenix and Golden State without Murray, without any other star on his team. But Jokic is showing everybody that a center can still win in the modern NBA and that you don't have to be the most athletic or fast to be the best player in this sport, even in 2023. So for all those that say Larry Bird wouldn't be that great, <laughs> I love it. I lo Or Mikhail or John Stockton or any of those guys. 
because Jokic is the best player in the world. In 2023, with your advanced athletes and all this shit you say, a guy that can't jump over a stool is the best player in the world running circles around everybody. So that's hilarious to me. But he's strong and he has great endurance. It's not like he's just a terrible athlete because he can't jump and run. That's what I, I give him credit for. But he's disproving so many narratives. And Denver's disproving so many narratives too. Especially about their defense. And the disrespect they've gotten from national media all year long. They're not serious. They're so disrespected. I was in spaces where we talked for hours about the Western Conference playoff picture and barely mentioned Denver. And I always thought it was ridiculous because my Clippers get whooped by Denver. But anyway, that's it for me today, guys, with the basketball portion of this video. Now, going to be talking about the Champions League final. And joining me is going to be my good friend, NVZ, to break it down for a little bit. By the way, by the way, Jimmy Butler and Michael Jordan comparisons need to stop. You're seeing the difference in quality. Obviously, those weren't serious comparisons, but you're seeing the difference in quality. But now let's get to it. The Champions League final. We already knew what the storyline was for this. Man City needed to get it done. I mean, no disrespect to Inter, but Man City, they've been one of the best teams in the world, if not the best, for the last couple of years. Pep Guardiola has taken them to new heights. And in this game, they started with an interesting formation. Uh, three at the back. It really looked like three at the back, not five at the back with wingbacks. With Akanji, Nathan Ake, and Ruben Diash or Ruben Dish in the back for Man City. I was shocked that Kyle Walker didn't start. Very shocked. Um, and in the midfield, they had Ilkay Gundogan, Kevin De Bruyne, uh, Rodri, and John Stones playing in midfield. And then Erling Holland, Bernardo Silva, and Jack Grealish up front. And I thought... It was fairly pedestrian in the beginning of the game, as most cup finals are. But slowly but surely, within 10 to, 10 to 20 minutes, you saw that both teams were kind of going for it. And it wasn't as defensive-minded and frantic and nervy as most cup finals. In cup finals in soccer or in football, you expect it to be an ugly game. But I actually thought that even though there were some poor moments of technical ability in this game, it was more free-flowing and more chances than a lot of the other Champions League finals I've witnessed. Like, I thought it was much better than 2020. thought it was much better, and I'm saying this as a Chelsea fan, than my final in 2021 against Man City. I also thought it was better than 2019 Liverpool Spurs, which was absolute dog shit. But joining me now is my good friend, NV, who is a longtime Barcelona fan, has family in Barcelona. Um, the great Barcelona legend Pep Guardiola won today. NV, what were your thoughts uh, on the first half uh, in, in this game? It was, it was a nil-nil First half, City had a couple of chances, mainly that Erling Holland one where he didn't have a great angle, tried to whip it across goal. But before KDB got hurt, it looked like City were starting to get warmer, starting to force some mistakes from Inter, and they're obviously going to dominate possession like we know they're going to do. But they couldn't break through. And after Kevin De Bruyne went injured, and it was sad to see him get injured because he got injured against us in the final two years ago, felt like Inter was maybe starting to creep and get some chances on the counterattack or looked a little dangerous. And the longer the game went on, you know Inter was going to want to park the bus and try to catch City slipping. What were your thoughts as that first half was happening? I mean, we watched the game together, but let the good people know. Um, I feel like it was pretty even in the first half. Um, I feel like City looked kind of nervous. Both teams kind of looked nervous, but City was really nervous with the ball. A lot of uh, uncharacteristic, uncharacteristic mistakes. Um, but I mean, Inter looked good in that first half. I mean, they must've come out thinking, you know, we did really well. We have a good chance to win this game, but didn't turn out to be that way. But yeah, it was a good first half. I mean, both teams had good chances. So, you know, it was, could have gone either way in the first half. Yeah. It just felt like we weren't seeing that crisp 
passing from City, that Tiki Taka in the midfield as much. It felt like there weren't that many people trying to free themselves up into space and get the ball. And it just felt pretty congested for City. And it felt like they were just moving slow and predictably. And I think when Foden came on, especially in the second half, you started to see that like the channels, the wings were kind of open for Man City or, or, or I'm sorry, for yeah, for Man City or more vulnerable. And I think they need, when Stones kept getting in those positions outside of the box, and I think Stones actually played pretty well, but when he was getting the ball out right outside of the box, it just looked uncomfortable. You know, you got a center back playing in those forward areas and it felt like, you know, a lot of the attacks were kind of dying down because of that. Yeah, I mean, Stones was pretty good, but um, usually I feel like when Pep puts him in that CDM role and he comes forward more, he plays better, but he looked, like, nervous. Like, he had a really bad first touch where he gave the ball away and just things like that. But, I mean, he did pretty good. And yeah. then, obviously, Foden, I feel like, changed the game. Uh, De Bruyne wasn't really doing a lot. Um, and then when he got, you know, that injury, you could tell he was going to come off. And it's the second time that he's gotten injured in a final, so you're thinking, oh, no. City's on the ropes, and then Foden comes on. And that's the thing about City is they have all this depth. So if somebody goes down, they can bring on, you know, Mares. They can bring on Foden. They have so many options off the bench, and it's just like, you know, wow, finally this team, they win the Champions League. I mean, this team was so good, so. Yeah. I, you mentioned Foden changing the game. I think he was finding those pockets of space, and, you know, he's a guy that can take a player on or two and then draw more defenders and then create that space on a pass. And you saw that one play where he had that amazing turn and he shot it straight at uh, Onana. But also mm -hmm. Ederson had his shaky moments in this game. He also had some big saves as well. And then finally the breakthrough um, came from Rodri. And this guy, I mean, throughout this tournament, he has had the knack for big goals. Big goals, big performances. And it started with Manuel Akanji, his through ball. He was coming further forward, had that nice through ball. I think it was to Bernardo Silva, right? Tried to yeah. cut it back. It was deflected, fell right to Rodri. And one thing about Rodri that I love, he always scores nice goals, man. He just fired that one in. No chance for Onana. City up 1-0. And they held on for dear life after that. It felt like they had a couple of decent chances. But Inter had their decent chances. Man City were sloppy. And our good friend, Romelu Lukaku. I mean, how many times have we seen the big chance, one or two chances at the biggest stage of this sport, whether it be the semifinals of the World Cup, or deep in the Champions League, or crucial league games in the Premier League that have title implications, and he just doesn't take that chance. First, it was the block off the crossbar rebound, and then the clear-cut header right to Ederson. Great save by Ederson, but it went right at his legs. What did you think of that? As a Chelsea fan, I had to have a good laugh about that. Well, not only those things, but then he even had another good chance before he blocked that header where uh, he just shot it directly at Ederson. And then he had another good chance where he just shot it completely wide of the goal, not even on target. So he was just like, I don't know. I thought he would offer something different because Jekko wasn't doing anything. But then yeah, they bring Jekko Lukaku was quiet. On. Holland was quiet too. Yeah, and then they, they bring uh, Lukaku on. And, I mean, he gets all these great chances that Jekko wasn't really getting, and he just completely bottles every single one. You know, I mean, it's just like classic Lukaku. I don't know what's going to happen when he goes back to Chelsea. I don't even know if they want to keep him or not. But I don't want him. After he quit on the club like that, I just don't want him. Mm -hmm. um, I give him so many chances. And you know what? He's gotten chances in big games. Didn't take them. And Ederson, huge save at the end, by the way. Huge. Mm -hmm. And Man City finally do it. They get the job done. They complete the treble.
first one since I believe 2015. Did Byron win the treble in 2020, bro? I gotta check that out right now. Um, I'm honestly not sure. I know there's, I think there was only nine teams that have won a European treble, and I think City are the 10th, I wanna say. Yeah, they did win the treble in 2020. They won the wow. Bundesliga, and it's, it was just forgettable because there was that was the COVID season. Mm-hmm. But 2015 Barca, now Man City. I mean, what does this say about Pep, man? This was the one thing he didn't get with Man City yet. It was his first Champions League title since 2011. They said that he couldn't bring his sticky-tacky style to the English game. He has taken it and fucked everybody. Five titles in six year in the last six years, five and seven for him as a manager. I think four Carabao Cups, and now an FA Cup again this year. I mean, this is right there with the Barcelona team to the early 2010s to me, the best club team I've ever seen. And then I'd say if I had to put a third one, the Real Madrid Champions League dynasty. But these three, in my generation, the all-time best for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy for Pep because I know it's been a long time that he's been trying to win this trophy with, you know, Man City. I mean, even if they had you know, lost the Premier League, I don't think he would have cared because this was the final thing he needed to check off. I mean, winning a treble makes it nicer, but yeah, I agree. I mean, it's one of the best teams we've seen. I just, I don't think it's as good as as that Barcelona team. I'm obviously biased. I, I also don't know if they're better than Madrid just because Madrid won it three times in a row, which is insane. But um, yeah, I mean, this team was just incredibly good. They're so deep. They have so many options. There's so many ways they can pick you apart. Even in a game where I felt like they didn't even deserve to win, honestly. I mean, maybe they deserve to win, but I feel like Inter should have won the game if they just took their chances. But, um, yeah, I mean, you can't really take anything away from them. I mean, they played – they had to beat Bayern, and then they had to beat um, – who was the other team? Um, they had to beat Real Madrid. They had to beat Bayern. To beat those two giants just to get to the final. So you can't really take anything away from them. And they smacked Real Madrid. So they thoroughly yeah, second leg. Yeah. I mean, they totally picked that team apart. And the thing that's weird is that Holland wasn't even that great really in the last few Champions League games, but they still won. So that tells me everything I need to know that this team was just destined to win it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Man City, first Champions League title. You could see the emotion from them. We've seen them win a lot these last couple of seasons, but I never saw the jubilation that I saw today. It was pretty special. Um, and shout out to my man, Jack, who's a city fan. We've had him on the podcast twice and he was over the moon today, but let's talk about some of the individuals, man, for city Ederson. I mean, big time career he's had in man city, dude. He's was one of pep, pep signings in 2017, five titles in six years, made it to two world cups for Brazil. Obviously he's Allison's backup, but I mean, what a, what a run he's had as a keeper. Ruben Dish. I mean, He's become one of the best center backs in the world. Three straight titles since he's arrived, right? Or did he come in 2020? Um, I think he came the year before 2020, so I think you're right. No, let me check. He may have come that first year that they didn't win. I forget. He's 26 years old, too. Yeah, he yeah. came in 20. You're right. Well, I'm right. So 2020, he's won three titles in all three years that he's been there, which is incredible. Um. Then you got a guy like Nathan Ake, who was one of our players that we loaned out to Watford, and now he's starting in Champions League finals and World Cup quarterfinals for Netherlands. I mean, it's just insane, man. As a Chelsea fan, that kind of stings, huh? Yeah, I mean, the thing that's interesting is that, you know, Pep always makes these changes before the final, and he brings on Ake, who they said hadn't played a full 90 in like 60 days. And he looked fine. I mean, he looked comfortable. And I think 
that's probably the biggest difference for City now is that their back line is a lot more stable than it used to be. They've got so many options. I mean, so economy, many options. Yeah, I mean, that whole they can just bring on. I mean, Kyle Walker didn't even really play until like the 81st or 82nd minute. And I mean, Akanji coming up, being brave to make that pass that set up the goal. I mean, those those center backs they have, they're all pretty special. So they've got just so many options. That's the thing that makes City so dangerous. That's why they won the Premier League is because, I mean, Arsenal, you know, they, they had one of their best defenders go down and they had no replacement for him. So, yeah, the depth that Man City have is just unbelievable at all positions. Akanji being involved in that goal in his first season in the Champions League final is an unbelievable accomplishment and then Kyle Walker you said it I mean this guy's been one of the best right backs if not the best right back in the world for a while now since he's arrived at City five titles in six seasons I mean it's incredible what he's done obviously performed really well for England in tournaments John Stones has really taken his game to another level as well he's been awesome and the fact that he's played midfield this season and still shown that he can hold his own I mean wow and he always plays well for England too yeah, and also just to add to that, um, I mean, they had Cancelo in the beginning of the season who started off great, and then I guess he had problems with Pep, so Pep was like, okay, well, you can leave. They loaned him out to Bayern, and everyone thought, oh, that's going to be a huge loss for City, and they didn't miss a beat. So that just says everything. I mean, they've got so much depth, and they're just so talented. Yeah, and, you know, someone else, Jack Grealish, who I'm not the biggest fan of, but with the massive price tag last season and, you know, they did win the league, but fell short in the Champions League. Him to start in the game today and get the win was really good for him. You can see how happy he was. Bernardo Silva, just an amazing player. I mean, he was incredible. Not as much today, but in the in the semifinals against Real. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a player. Uh, he's been unbelievable since he got to Man City and been a huge part of these titles. And then Ilkay Gundogan, this is a guy who struggled with injuries a lot for a while. And in his first season in Man City, I think he tore his ACL or something. And he was out for a while. And the way he's kind of, not even the first season they won the title, but more so these last couple of seasons, becomes such a central cog in their midfield. And he was the one who lifted that trophy today as the captain. What a turnaround he's made to his career, man. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just another legendary player that they have. I mean, they just have so many good players. I can't think of any player that they have that's not good. You know, I mean, even like, you know, Man City's like backup eleven would beat a lot of yeah, you know, dude. Amaric Laporte, I forgot about him. He's yeah, sitting on their bench didn't play. He doesn't play. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. They've just got so many guys that they can plug in. Yeah, they also had Riyad Mahrez who didn't even play a minute today, which was insane. I thought he was going to come on and try to change the game, but didn't play. Phil Foden, we already talked about how great he is and what a young career he's had so far, and he's going to continue to add to that. Uh, Mahrez has won a shit ton at this point. I mean, Leicester. The leagues he's won with City. Now he's got a Champions League added to that. Uh, and then Erling Holland and Kevin De Bruyne are the two superstars of this team. Um, Kevin De Bruyne, I mean, he didn't have the contribution today with the injury, but one of the best players I've ever seen. He's gotten, he's done everything now for the most part at the club level. There's not much you can say about him. One of the best City players of all time and honestly one of the best players in the Premier League, probably history. I mean, I'm not a historian about the Premier League as much, but I mean, he's set records. I mean, he's one of the most special I've seen and I've watched for 12 years, 13 years now. And then Erling Holland, I mean, they the one thing everybody said about Man City last year was they're winning and they don't even have a striker. Now you give them the world's best striker, arguably the world's best striker, fifty goals in all competitions, thirty plus in like what is it, thirty eight in league? And I mean, they're just so OP, man. It's crazy. What a player he is. He's a fucking cyborg. And yeah, thoughts on Erling Holland, Kevin De Bruyne as we close it out. 
Um, I mean, well, that's that was kind of the expectation once they got Holland was like, okay, now this is what they need to win the Champions League. And it's just funny because, like I said, I mean, he wasn't very impactful over the last few knockout games. He had an amazing game against uh, Leipzig where he had like five goals, I think, or four goals, something like that. And then um, he kind of just slowed down a little bit. But he was still good at creating and hold up play. But, I mean, in the final, I don't really remember him doing, you know, much, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, it just says a lot that KDB gets hurt. And then you think, oh, my God, this is all over again. City's going to have trouble. And then Foden comes on and he's better than KDB was playing. So, I mean, it's just like, what can you do against a team like that? It's it's so difficult. But, I mean, Inter had all those chances and they still didn't win. I mean, you know, credit to uh, Ederson with those clutch saves he had. So, you know, I mean, who who won many of the match? Was it Rodri or was it Ederson? I don't know. Probably Rodri, I would assume. Um, yeah. he, I love when – I was talking about with you earlier, but – I love the cup finals when it's one nil and there's a second half winner and that guy becomes the hero as opposed to like when we won the champions league final, we scored in the first half. And like for a neutral fan, that's not as fun, you know, with the whole second half is scoreless. I love that suspense of that winning goal in the, in the second half. And Rodri, I mean, he was talking about it in his post game presser today, but or his post game interview, but he was brought in as Fernandinho's replacement. And I mean, Fernandinho was so incredible for them. And he was Nigel de Jong's replacement, Fernandinho. And they've replaced these guys with just another incredible player. And the guy's what, 26? Erling Holland is 22. Like, the one thing City's done such a good job of to me is keeping great players. I mean, Leroy Zane and Joao Cancelo didn't go that way. But, like, David Silva, he did his whole prime with City. Yaya Torre, whole prime with City. Vincent Company, same. De Bruyne, same. Aguero, same. You know, they do a great job of keeping their players. And, I mean... I'm kind of done with the city experience of them winning everything, but man, it doesn't look like it's ending anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just clear that at this point, guys just love playing for Pep. I mean, you look at all these talented players that would start and play full nineties at any other club regularly. And then you've got guys like Ares and Foden who sometimes they're playing all the time. And then sometimes they're barely playing at all, but they're just happy because they know that, you know, they can come in and they can, you know, make a difference if they need to, but all they care about is winning. And that's why they're such a good team is because they all just have that attitude of like, let's just win. I don't care if I don't play a lot. And then the guys that are, you know, pissed off if they're not playing a lot, like Cancelo, they just get shipped off and that's just the way it is there. Yeah. Raheem Sterling, also another player that had his best years with City, and they kept him for a while until he kind of became, you know, washed. Yeah, I mean, he just wasn't playing a lot. And then, you know, he kind of just told, you know, Pep, you know, I think I want to leave. And Pep's like, okay, that's fine, whatever. You know, we'll we'll find a replacement for you. Oh, well, and <laughs> what happened is I think, I think bringing in Grealish was already kind of like the replacement for Raheem. That was kind of it for him. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, it's once you once you fall out of favor with Pep, it's really hard to get back in the starting eleven. Yeah, but Envy, thanks so much for joining, man. This was great. Man City, the champions of Europe, the champions of England, and soon to be when they win the Club World Cup in the coming year, the champions of the world. Monday night, Miami and Denver. We'll see how it goes. And by the way, hopefully this summer, in terms of soccer content, hopefully we're getting Gold Cup. Gold Cup final. I will be there at SoFi. Hopefully it's USA, Mexico. But thanks so much for joining me, guys. Make sure to comment on the video. Let me know what you think. Peace out. Send it.